0: Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Um, as you know, we're working our way through the Broke Cycle by Neil Stevenson, and we are coming to the end of it. Um, only only this and, and four more episodes uh, planned um, So this is the middle section of the of book 7 in the series which is called currency um, and this kind of sets up the final book uh, in many ways uh, and this is probably the most uh, I guess kind of dull part of the book if you like the mystery if you like the the Daniels Club, if you like them trying to seek out who's behind the infernal devices and the raid on the picks and the tower of London and all that stuff. There's some interesting stuff in this part of the book, but it might drag for, for some readers, but trust me, uh, this currency really picks up in the last hundred pages or so. So this is just sort of, uh, you know, just continuing the story, pushing it along and Stevenson's pretty wordy. He writes, he writes big, long books, a lot of descriptions, um, But I think the most interesting thing in this part of the story, I guess, is the relationship between uh, like the club and like how they get stuff done, right? How they actually are going to find people and how they rely on fences and thief takers and other members of of the lower classes that, you know, the lesson of the first book in a way, Solomon's Gold, is that As smart as these people are, you know, they're not going to be able to figure this out without getting into the underground, right? And that's a realization that Daniel has by the end of the book is that somehow he's going to have to get his hands dirty a little bit, you know, live within the the, the lower classes to accomplish his goals. He can't do everything from like the Royal Society level of things. And eventually he will physically do this directly in the in the last book of the series but for now it's uh the club who's hiring this thief taker now uh i guess spoiler alert here they hire a thief taker named sean Partridge, who's actually jack shafto in disguise right so i know we've been you've probably been waiting like where's jack shafto really in all this you know who is he um it's it's he's he appears in this part of the story as this character sean Partridge. i guess the clue is that he's illiterate I was wondering in an earlier episode if he ever like had to learn to read for this job that the king gave him. Uh, apparently, he's still illiterate. Um, doing all these things, he's he's done. Um, but uh, but that's but that's actually a pro- kind of an important plot point as, as as we might see later on in this this episode. The fact that he's illiterate allows the, the club to kind of talk behind his back but he understands the underworld obviously because he's jack Shafter. he's just kind of playing them the whole time in, in a way kind of leading them on wild goose chases or whatever but it does lead them to uh to you know to some temporary conclusions about their about their investigation so that's really all there is to say about this part of of the book um it's it's just the investigation, right? It's the last part of currency that gets kind of exciting, where we get a little bit of action. Um, now, everything here I'm going to talk about in this part of this episode takes place between June 18, 1714, and July twelfth, um, seventeen fourteen. So it's only a, a handful of weeks, and most of that is 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 a, is a stakeout. Actually, actually, it goes a little bit longer. I'm sorry, it goes till the till July twenty fourth, because um, the stakeout take takes place over a few days um this the the stakeout is hilarious actually it's a pretty funny uh thing because they're they're like they're in this house they're watching for uh you know what's essentially set up as an auction of hook stuff because they figure out jack wants hook stuff for some reason so they take a bunch of hook stuff and they start auctioning it, including like this recipe for an elixir of life uh which will have an important part in the story and they're they're kind of they're spying him out but they each have their shifts and they write notes you know and some characters like Kikin the Russian he's an agent of of the czar he just writes one one sentence things Daniel and Isaac write much more Threader writes a little bit more and they talk about Sean Partridge behind his back they're really talking about Jack Shafted but they're like should we really trust this guy he's a bit of suspicious bloke so I think it's Isaac who figures out that maybe that Maybe we shouldn't be trusting the Sean Partridge too much, but that's just his classism. I think because Sean Partridge does progress their investigation in a way. They just don't know that it's being progressed in a way that Jack Shafto, uh, I guess wants to lead them because Jack Shafto is his own agent, right? He's kind of working with the Jecks for the King, but he's also doing his own thing. He wants to survive. He wants a future for his sons. He, he, you know remake some re-earn some of his wealth uh he wants revenge against Ajax so he's got a broader ambition here that that makes him a possible ally to the investigators even though they don't know that they're talking to uh, Jack Shafto at least not yet so um the story begins we we see the uh, uh Roger securing Bob Shafto um who was in the Tower of London? I guess associated with the with the raid on the on the mint and all that. Um, but he gets he gets freed, and uh, by Roger Comstock using his connections and powers to do that. And Roger talks to to Bob about kind of the broader political situation and why the raid on the mint was so important, and that's all involved with the picks mystery, right? What was done to the picks? What's the ambition of it? And then there that's all part of this Whig-Tory struggle during this you know the secession crisis. I have, you know, Queen Anne's still alive, but she won't be by the end of the currency. So Roger wants to expose Bolingbroke, the big Tory, for being kind of in part of this this mixed mi- mixture, mystery. So that that's kind of the setup here. And you know, we spent all of the last hundred pages pretty much in Germany. Um, we got a little bit about the Bolingbroke, Comstock, Newton. Charles White entanglements, but this is kind of just a, a restating what we probably already know. So, anyways, then we jump ahead to uh, June nineteenth, seventeen fourteen, at Clerkenwell Court, um, and this is this is a pretty long chapter. It involves the Eliza gang returning to London. So, by that I mean it's Eliza, it's Princess Caroline in disguise, posing as Daniel's doctor, Daniel of course, and Johann von Hackelhaber, uh, returning to London from you know from Sophie's funeral that was set up in the in the previous chapters. Um, so that's uh, going on. We see the first is it the first or, or one of the first of the Dapa uh, Dapas, you know the, the guy who was claimed to be a slave by Charles White uh, to get at Eliza in a way, but Dapa has been using his his capture. As a slave, embracing it as a way to basically become, you know, to write polemics against slavery and to expose the hypocrisy of slavery and expose. But he does it by writing like these personal insulting uh, letters publicly to Charles White, um, you know, or other kind of discourses. He's got one on liberty. He's got a good one on power. I think we see that later on. Um, And eventually this all culminates in the final book with a duel between Charles White and DAPA, which, which DAPA. It's a fun little sign because they use uh, howitzer's artillery for the or like these hand artillery things for um, for the duel, which is pretty hilarious. Um, But you see he writes this discourse on liberty um, in this chapter. And these just sort of appear around London. So characters kind of see them lying around or on walls, which is one way that this kind of stuff was uh, distributed in those days. And he kind of makes the argument here in this one that, like, if one person's enslaved, everyone is less free. Um, Quote, but the true England of today has all these things. Um, Different institutions and and things like that. But um, okay, but the true England of today has all these things. So why do not much bemoan the fact that I am in the clink while you read are at liberty for the liberties in which you dwell are but delusions? I would fainer dwell in a meaner liberty with fewer delusions than roam about in a great one. While being used by the lies and deceptions of the party in power. "End quote." I guess if I have one criticism of the Dapa storyline, actually I have a couple here, um, and maybe I'll repeat this later on. But one is that Dapa seems to reduce this to a Tory versus Whig conversation, which fits thematically with the book. But both Whigs and Tories, you know, were involved in the slave trade, right? It wasn't like the debate in 18th early 18th century england about slavery was you know where the whigs were somehow against it right so somehow dapa is because charles white's a, a tory he's sort of i think putting the tories in the hands of like the pro-slavery party applying the whigs are the more you know the anti-slavery party which is not true i guess so i guess dapa's a I don't know if this is Stevenson's mistake or just the way he's characterizing DAPA, DAPA being so polemical, and not polemical is the wrong term, political in his polemics. You know, Of course, it's right to be polemical about slavery, but he's, being, he, he's kind of framing it in party politics. Um, that's one criticism. And the other is that, and this I think definitely is Stevenson's point of view, is that somehow industrialization and the use of mechanical technologies like the, steam engine, which has already been introduced in this book, will make England unsuitable for slavery. Right. So some people argue, like, why does slavery end? Right. And and some arguments is it's struggle. Right. It's like revolutionary struggle, the American Civil War or the Haitian Revolution. Others argue its ideas in the Enlightenment. Right. And some, you know, talk about just changing economics. Right. Slave labor became less efficient, less um, less productive, less less profitable for owners, right? So it was going to fade out anyways, right? I still hear this from people saying, well, slavery would have left anyways if the Civil War hadn't been fought just because of industrialization. I don't know how I feel about that because slavery was certainly still very profitable. It's still profitable today. There are slaves on the planet today, more than ever, actually. And... It still makes it's it's still cost-effective because not all of the world is equally industrialized, right? There's always going to be a place for slavery and forced labor somewhere on the planet because there's going to be places that aren't going to be as industrialized, right? So you could say, yeah, England might not have need have needed slaves, but their cotton mills do, right? And the cotton has to be produced somewhere and slave slave labor was still the cheapest way to produce it. So I, I think Stevenson is a little bit... Uh, uh, simplifying this issue uh, and I think that's one reason I'm not a big fan of the DAPA storyline here but anyways moving on a little bit um, now this is something I went on at length about in the last episode because it confused where it was in the story but this is where Daniel recruits Eliza to be an investor in the logic mill and the steam engine enterprise and Daniel has this idea of combining the two right and he gets the whole description of how the gold leaves are being used for the punch cards right the punch card kind of computing system that the logic bill requires we saw the him working on all this stuff with paper cards and in massachusetts but now they're being melted down into gold right and eventually this is going to be the solomonic gold is going to be used it's we see in the we'll see in the next episode how daniel basically sells it to you. trades with uh peter the great for the solomonocles for real gold and then has this all stuff sent to leibniz uh who's going to be finishing up the logic mill and who's kind of an agent of 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 peter the great by this point um so it ends up with leibniz you know but kind of ends up with peter the great you know in in some in some sense um but the key point here is like First, like, this is really about industrialization, right? Which may be why the DAPA section is here, too. Um, Because I think Daniel just talked to Eliza a little bit about slavery. And this issue of industrialization and slavery comes up a little bit. Um, But anyways, uh, I talked all about this last episode, so it's the same ideas. But I think it's a really cool idea that Stevenson introduces here. And that is combining the technology of... Or the new power with the new information science really talking about computers right because our computers today are still powered largely by fossil fuel power you know you just plug it in but that power you know most likely is coming from like a coal plant somewhere so we're still reliant on this 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 system that's he's imagining having its roots in the early 18th century um, Eliza here uh, she becomes less of an interesting character in, in Volume 3 overall, I'd say. She's just sort of hanging out with... Uh, she doesn't do that much. She's just sort of hanging out with her son, Johan, and Caroline, Princess Caroline. She's... I mean, I know Stevenson's trying to present her as a shrewd investor and brilliant and not someone who can easily take advantage of, but, like, the adventurousness of Eliza's character is, is kind of taken away from her, and she's, like, just like a kind of a boring accountant in this section you know saying hmm I, you know that's a good idea but are the returns going to be you know enough for my investment to make to, to make sense And Daniel's like no this is like an almost like an adventure this is something you're gonna be in then a new thing and she just kind of comes at it as a typical stockbroker and commodities trader uh, which of course is part, part of her character but she's so much more interesting in volume 2. I, I do I do wonder if Stevenson just didn't know what to do with Eliza. In this part of the story, um, you know, I've said many times, I think basically her story ends with uh, with the scamming of Von Heckelhaber, right? After that, she's just sort of flipping around. She, she does things behind the scenes here in this book, mostly kind of helping Jack out in slight ways, um, kind of some final payment of the debts that she owes Jack, um, which is I think another problem in eliza's character is she, she the way she treats jack all all along is kind of not the best considering what he did for her um way back in king of the vagabonds um, but he, he she, she starts to help him a little bit here maybe i'll talk about eliza in a, in a final episode where i go over some of the characters all right. Anything else here? Oh, then we have a meeting of the club. This is all in the same chapter. As I said, it's a long chapter. We have another meeting of the club and basically they decide they're going to have to hire a thief taker. And so this is where um, the reach out to Sean Partridge. I forget who it is that mentions it. It, it must be like Arlong. Our, our maybe or might be threader because it turns out half of the people in the club are somehow connected to the conspiracy themselves though so, so I, I forget who it was that says we should reach out to this guy sean Partridge. but that's what happens sean Partridge is the is the thief taker they they sort of hire the club hires to help them capture jack shafto um so then we go to westminster palace which is has a short chapter which is just a letter that daniel is writing uh, to uh, to Enoch Root um, back in Massachusetts, back in Boston, and he does different things in this letter. It's kind of a sum up of, of what we already know about the investigation, where it's at, where it's going, about the politics of the time. On a more personal note, the letter does have these orders, to, or not orders, suggestions to Enoch Root about how to handle Godfrey's education, and his upbringing if uh, the likely event that, that Daniel does not return. Um, now this letter also gives you the sense of, of Daniel being torn between many different uh, obligations, right? He came here to resolve the calculus dispute. That's what he thought uh, he was coming there, but it turns out he's doing all these other things, right? So the letter's always interrupted. And I think that's uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clever approach here where you see him trying to write something in route and then he got called away to a coffee house or got called away on some political, political business but um one really cool thing here is we get a we get a description of of jack shafto which i don't think we ever as descriptive as this book is you know we don't get that many descriptions of what jack shafto looks like he's obviously good looking in some ways but uh what does he say he because he describes sean Partridge middle 50s right so that's the hint that we're talking about jack Shafter here but he says sean partridge is conspicuous among thief takers by his age i should estimate he is in his middle 50s and by a bearing i'm tempted to call dignity wanting in the others he has a good head of hair only a bit only a bit thin on top blonde going gray and sea green eyes he has an excellently carved set of teeth but displays them rarely he has a trim figure unusual in a profession that consists largely of loitering around taverns, but any illusion that he is essentially fit is dispelled when he begins to move for he's a bit halt and a little bit lame, stiff in the joints and given to his frequent sighs and grimaces that hint that pain's eternal. All of this makes sense because, you know, Jack's been through a lot of physical trauma throughout his, his life at this point. He's going to get, he's going to get more. Um, so anything else? Um, it's just a reminder of the stakes too In this letter where uh, And I think Daniel feels a little bit bad About this perhaps Is that he knows like Jack Shafto's fate if he gets captured Is going to be pretty horrible right So now the normal thieves will just be hung But since coining is seen as treason Their punishment is to be half hanged This is important in the rest of the book Half hanged uh, dismembered and drawn and quartered, right? And the goal is to be as live as long as possible through that process, right? Um, so it's even hinted here that maybe a deal can be struck with Jack have to give him more lenient treatment, like basically a quick death rather than a, a slow, painful, painful death. You know, the, the British are, you know, they're somewhat civilized. That's a joke that actually Stevenson makes towards the end of the book where you know I think there's a mob at the end of the story I won't give it away now but it'll be in a few episodes there's a mob at the end of the story and I think jo- King George says or someone in the court says why don't you just shoot them and Duke of Marble says you know we're more civilized than that or at least we're trying we or we do this all the time we, but we're trying to turn a new leaf or kind of makes a joke that you know this England you know we're still not in the Enlightenment concept of human rights obviously all right Um, next chapter Westminster Palace Um, so this is July 9th uh, 1714 I think this this is kind of a throwaway chapter Um, we just see Daniel again being kind of put into politics and being drawn back into the political realm by Ravenscar and by other people in the court Uh, eventually he's going to be a regent after Queen Anne dies and before George Louis can come Uh, but he's bothered by this. Um, you know, he says, this gave Daniel over to grave for wordy, for, for He had seen Charles, the heads, uh, Charles, the first head spurt and roll. He had attended Charles, the second omen of the moment of his death, fighting a bitter rear guard action to keep the Royal physicians at bay. He had watched and been tempted to take part in a tavern brawl that bloody James, the second's nose, and more or less single the end of his reign quite prudently. He had absented himself from the country during the deaths of William and Mary, but now he was back and they were bringing the queen to him. If she chose this time and place to give the ghost, would every wigged head in the room turn around to look at him? Would they tear him limb to limb on the spot, or ship him down river for a proper beheading in the tower? End quote. He's kind of an unlucky guy. Um, you know, where he is, bad things seem to happen to kings. That's the point. That's the the joke here. And I, you know, I I've been watching like this this TV show, The Walking Dead. You probably know about this. And I and I just was thinking, you know, things tend to be okay until until rick shows up and then everything go, go, goes to hell right everywhere he goes and he's like a he's like a cursed character but of course that's how you tell a story right you want your, your eyewitness your viewpoint characters in where exciting dramatic history changing things happen right so that tends to be dramatic and so it's kind of almost a, a little pun i think on, on a, an unavoidable reality of storytelling is that you're your viewpoint characters have to be there when crazy shit happens, and you know that's not, doesn't happen to us usually. We're not at the we're not around at the deaths of three kings. Anyways, next chapter, Kit Kat Club. So this is J- Daniel and Isaac mostly, and they're talking about Jack the Pointer. They're talking about the trial of the picks. Uh, We see uh, Newton's anxiety about the trial of the picks. And most importantly, Newton kind of coerces his way into their club, uh, joining their club. And here's what his his conclusion is. We must hunt down Jack the Coiner, clap him in irons and force him to testify that he adulterated a picks that until he put his filthy hands on it was filled with sound coins. What would be even better than his testimony? We might compel him to yield up the good guineas that he might have stolen from the picks, which would exonerate me beyond even the power of the Jesuits. That's his goal. He wants to join the club because he's got his own personal vendetta against Jack the coiner um, and that's kind of extending I guess in a way the the reach of this of this club um, so with Isaac now in the club we get to the the kind of the, the, the stakeout, essentially. And you now first he sets it up. First Stevenson sets up the stakeout, bef- up before we get to it. But basically they're, they're in this carriage and Saturn, uh, you know, they're already making deals with Parchery to help try to find Jack the Coiner. Um, but they hear from Saturn that a thief broke into Bedlam. Bedlam, of course, that madhouse, right? A place people go to see crazy people. But it was also Hook's house, right? Um, if you remember from Quicksilver, it was, it, was, it was Hook's house and Hook had stored a bunch of stuff there in the walls, like documents, stuff in the philosophical language, other stuff that he didn't want Newton to get his hands on. So there's things that are alchemically significant, let's say. So anyway, someone has broken in. A guy named John Doe, which seems to be a joke name, uh, was ripping up the walls of Bedlam Trying to take this, find this hook stuff, and he gets arrested for it, right? So he's in custody, and there's some connection between John and Jack uh, in related to hook stuff, right? This this hook stuff. So we've seen in this book science stuff, and now we got hook stuff, um, just kind of hooks junk that he left behind after he died. Um, and eventually, they they question him, and John was sent to find the stuff by by apparently Jack the Coiner. Now, we get a wonderful little description of of the different things Hook was working on because we got a list of of different projects and stuff he was working on. Um, I guess this is the stuff in the... No, this is stuff that's in the the Hook stuff that they have. Dr. D's Book of Spirits Exposed. Adam Inversions upon Dr. Voice's Hypothesis of Gravitation. Acribidity in in Fruits. Plagiarism in the Parisian Academy. Telescopic Sites for Instruments Vindicated. Structures of Muscles explained. That's a real Hook thing. Iron and uh, Spielstallis take fire with explosion. Flying fish and a flying in general. Center of the earth, not the center of the gravity. Decaying human bodies observed. And what all the stuff Hook was involved in. So if you missed Hook, as I do, I think he's one of the best fictional um, or non-fiction. Yes, yeah, I non-fictional, best non-fictional characters in the in the story. And we get a reminder of all the kind of stuff he was worked in, working on. Um and so this is what stevenson writes implicit was that Hooke concealed these in the walls of bedlam because he would not entrust the royal society specifically newton with their his legacy and so daniel began to read these titles aloud as a sort of rebuke to isaac but having started on it in such litany he found it difficult to spot this was a sort of concentrated essence of the quicksilver spirit that had animated daniel's and the royal society's halcon days to handle these pages was to drink deep from the fountain of youth um, then he finds a document in the in the philosophical language. The real character, as it's being called now. but it's Basically the philosophical language. Now, only a few people can read it. Like Hook could have read it. Christopher Wren, I guess he's still kicking at this point in the story. Newton could, you know, Daniel can. Very few people can read it. So it's a really useful document to use to try to entrap someone who wants Hook's stuff because they can say what is whatever it is. And he actually carries it around for a while. Um, Now, there's kind of a revelation at this point in the story, is because this document talks about a surgical procedure on a human male aged two score and three, right? Uh, So uh, 43, Uh, who become ill with the stone, a stone in the bladder, and Hook performed the lithotomy, which is the removal of the stone from the bladder. Now, we only know of a couple characters that this happened to, Peeps and um, Daniel Waterhouse. But here's what it says in the document. The patient died as often happens of shock. No pulse was evident, whereupon the learned fellows I spoke to earlier emerged from the place of concealment from which he had been observing the procedure. And anyways, they, they give him basically like a magic potion. Quote: uh, uh, he, see, he, he even skips a page, so some of the details aren't here, but it says, The result, a small quantity of a light-bearing compound placed on the mouth of the dead patient caused his heart to resume beating and cured him of his shock. Several minutes after, he came awake and professed to have no memory of what transpired. The alchemist had by then departed, taking all the residuals of the receipt with him. End quote. So I guess that was Enoch Root gave him this. Which is how, I guess, Enoch grew to staying alive is with this alchemical recipe. And it's somehow connected to the solemn line of gold, right? But imagine reading this and realizing that you were dead and brought back to life by some kind of alchemy. Now, Daniel's never going to admit that this is alchemy, obviously. He's in his mind, and Leibniz's for that matter, and this is said explicitly at the end of the book, I admit I don't understand anything right so yeah maybe there is this potion that could cure someone and the way Leibniz puts it is puts the monads in the right relationship to one another so that something that seemingly miraculous happens that doesn't mean it's magic it just means we don't understand something in the universe quite yet um, you know alchemy just sort of evolves into chemistry doesn't it you know you can you know turn one thing into something else it's it's not surprising that people thought you know you could turn base metals into gold because or you know you give someone a medicine and they survive an illness so why not find a medicine that can cure aging right well maybe we're getting close to that and so there's some real good truths I think in this idea that alchemy is not as much of a problem as like I guess I guess Daniel Leibniz's problem with alchemy, Hook's problem too with alchemy, is that somehow there's this belief that there's this underwriting principle that if you can just unlock it, it will answer all your questions. It's too simple. It's it's a it's the cheap way out, all right. To, to say oh it's God or it's ghosts or it's the philosophical mercury or whatever. That's the cheap way. The hard way is to actually figure out how these relationships work, right? But you know, it's this this potion that saved Daniel's life and will later save Isaac Newton's life um, and liveness is going to be tempted with it as a way to live forever, keeping Enoch Root alive. You know, it's it's somewhere between magic and science. It's just not clear. We, we're in the 17th century here, 18th century, so we don't know if it's magic or or something that can be explained yet. Is this science fiction or fantasy? That's part of the fun of this book, right? So, uh, now at the end of this section, they kind of set up their, their plan for the stakeout and the stakeout is essentially going to be, they're going to be in another room looking out and they're going to do this kind of auction off hook stuff because whoever would be interested in hook stuff is probably who they're after because who else would want this stuff, right? And they're going to watch as different characters in robes and things are going to come and buy stuff and you know pay cheaply for stuff they don't like or whatever and they're trying different hook stuff to try to snare snare them meanwhile there's someone up in the house taking notes or whatever that's what it's set up but daniel also suspects that Arlong is part of the conspiracy uh, daniel's kind of got quite a lot of it figured out but he doesn't want to tell Arlong because he he thinks maybe i can use we can use our to get jack at some point in the future so then, the final chapter in this section that I want to talk about is essentially just a stakeout. It's, it starts on July twelfth, seventeen fourteen, and it carries on until um, carries on until the twenty-third of July. Um, and it's really fun because all these old uh, natural philosophers and bankers and people like that are you know, are doing the stakeout and they're writing notes to each other throughout, um, throughout the stakeout and you just get their different characters. So Peter Hoxton, uh, writes really elegant, eloquently, eloquently and writes really interesting things, but Keegan just writes, nothing happened. Uh, Isaac Newton complains. He writes like a whole book complaining about, uh, Sean Partry, uh, Things like that. It's it's a lot of fun, and, and they complain to each other about the time, and, and like one person complains about like I got this night shift, and everyone's drunk and having sex out there and singing, and I don't want to hear that anymore. So someone can t- trade with me. It's it's a it's a fun back and forth for the characters, but the heart of it is that they're trying to catch this. They're trying to do this Arabian auction, and as a result, they finally do catch someone, and who do they catch? But uh, Edouard Dujac is uh the one who's been buying the hook stuff who we know is connected to jack shaft so that's not no big surprise but if you wanted jack shaft you well you've had him all along because sean Partridge, who's been aiding this like, kind of on the ground he wasn't part of the stakeout he was doing the work on the ground is none other um so anyways yeah a little bit of a shorter episode today um you know that's okay um this series has been going on long enough. Anyways, uh, in the next episode, we'll cover pages 509 to the end of currency, which is page 623. Um, yeah. Um, so we'll finally get, you know, Jack Shaft will be ex- revealed. Um, a lot of other fun stuff, a duel between Jack Shafto and DeJax happens. Um, uh, So that'll be it for now. Uh, Let me know if what you thought of this section of currency. Um, I like it. I like, I like this book a lot. This is my favorite part of currency. I think uh, the final chapters are, are uh, a little bit funner to read, I suppose. More revelations. Um, This is, you kind of feel like you're on a stakeout in in reading this section of the story. But there's some really great stuff still with, uh, um, I guess the revelation about Daniel's surgery um and how he owes his life to some kind of alchemy um you know eliza and daniel in the logic mill it's a nice little it's more better daniel moment than an eliza moment frankly but uh but yeah um i guess that's gonna be it for now so i'll see you next time thanks thanks for listening